This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, this is uh, Jay Horowitz with the latest edition of Amazing Mets Alumni Podcast. My special guest, the great R.A. Dickey. When I see your face, I'm thinking a magical year of 2012. We know what comes to mind. This may sound stupid. The trips that you, I, and Mike Palfrey went to go to this wonderful uh, yogurt place outside of our town in Philadelphia. And you taught me how to build a yogurt sundae. I went to spill it all over myself. You wouldn't remember that those days. Oh, those, those were some of my favorite days of all time. I always thought that that was the key to my Cy Young gear was this, the way that we built our Sundays together whenever we would go into Philly. So, Which is, I, which is a novel place. It had new – you can walk around and make your own Sunday. It was a place like that, you know? With I, the, I know. It. You, you, were, you, were, you were captivated by how, how many flavors were in that place. Yeah. I, I went back for a lot of seconds, sorry. <laughs> Talk about 2012, a magical, magical year. And, you know, something else magical happened, you know, in, in December, you know, especially where you came from. You were one of the 14 new people added to the Hall of Fame ballot. You retired in 2017. And not everybody who retires goes on the Hall of Fame ballot. I did some research. The BBWA selects a panel, and two of the six people have to get you in. After all you went through, we'll going through that a bit later, how does it feel to be on a Hall of Fame ballot after the way your career started? Well, you know, I, I don't know if it, it's just incredibly surprising. Um, you know, I, I feel like, uh, of course, the, I, th- I think everybody says it's humbling, and I'm certainly moved by that gesture. Um, but wow, I mean, the names that that are on it uh, are really names that. You know, you, you look you look at them and you think I'm not as good as that person. I'm not as good as that person, you know, and and so it's real humbling to be on a ballot uh, with those good of players. Um, but, you know, we all we had a good a good ride in, in New York. And so um, I'm thankful that I performed well enough to even be considered. So look at what you did in 2012. You know, you win a Cy Young, first knuckleball ever win a Cy Young, go 20 and six. We the National League at strikeouts with 230. Your autobiography is published. And I think it was at the end of 2011, you, you and Dave Racanell and Kevin Slowey, Clyde, Mount Kilimanjaro. I mean, could you do anything more in 2000? You're on 60 minutes yet. I forgot about that. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. you look back at that year and say, this is crazy, isn't it? All this stuff that happened in one year. Well, you don't, you don't really realize how crazy it is until you, you know, you're, you're out of it and you reflect back and you, and you have somebody tell you all the things that happened over the course of a year and a half period. I mean, it, it is quite remarkable. And, you know, of course, I, I, uh, had a lot of incredible opportunities and a lot of great people helped me along the way. And so it was, it was quite the ride and, and, you know, winning the Cy Young in, in 2012, I felt like, you know, I feel like Phil Necro should have won it before me. 
Um, there were a year or two right there where he was in the running statistically, uh, you know, and so when I won it, I felt like I got to share it with every knuckleballer that ever that had ever come by behind me, uh, Tim and Charlie and Joe and Phil. And so it was a, a real special culmination to a cool a cool Just year. Somebody obviously you've overcome. Uh, you number one draft the Rangers in '96. You originally get a bonus over eight hundred thousand dollars. Supposedly the story goes that uh, a doctor saw you on the cover of Baseball America. And he didn't think you had an ulnar collateral ligament, and he, they cut your bonus down to seventy-five thousand dollars. How difficult was that to go on after that? Well, you know, you, it, it put a lot of doubt in my mind. You know, I I I, uh, I wasn't ever hurt, you know, and so I thought that there was some kind of mistake. But when I went to see Doctor Andrews, sure enough, he took an MRI and discovered I didn't have a UCL, a Tommy John ligament at all, in that right elbow, and. I'd never been a hurt, hurt a day in my life. And still to this day, after 21 years of playing professionally, I've never had a surgery uh, to, to fix what they saw as broken. But when it first occurs, you, you start, you know, it, it, it puts some doubt in there about who you really are. And you have to overcome that. And it took me a while to get to the other side of that a little bit and, and really embrace who I was. And um, it was hard for sure. But it, the lessons that I learned those first three or four years in minor league baseball, trying to overcome this this label of the guy who didn't have a ligament, who had you know agreed to close to a million dollars and had it reduced to seventy five thousand dollars, like that follows you around, and that's what you're known for. And I wanted to be known for a guy who could really pitch, and so it took a while for me to kind of get over that hurdle and embrace that piece. All right, you're twenty one years at pro ball, fourteen years were parts of the minors, you know. A lot of people say, screw it, I'm not going to keep going on. What made you go ahead and plug on? I just, you know, I a couple of different things, Jay. I think the first thing is I just I, I'm really stubborn. I think that's one thing. Um, I, I still loved what I was doing and felt like I could contribute at the highest level. I really never lost belief in that piece or, or hope. And secondly, and probably more importantly, is uh, you know, I had a lot of really, really good people and kind people and loving people come alongside me and help encourage me during times when, you know, I was very, very close to thinking about what it would be like to not ever play again and, and move on with my life. And they they helped me stay in it. My agent, my wife, you know, Phil Necro, Charlie Huff, Tim Wakefield, Buck Showalter, who was my manager when I made the transition to becoming a knuckleballer and with the Texas Rangers, he was the guy that helped facilitate a lot of that. And so I had a lot of people who, who loved on me well and, and helped me through really, really tough times. So by 2006, you bucking the Rangers, you, you go to the knuckleball. First start didn't go that great in a nice way of saying, right? <laughs> How you think? You gave up six home runs in the first start, right? And, and then yes, in one inning, you throw four wide pitches in, in an inning. So what was Buck to you? Would Buck encourage you along the way and you keep going and stuff like that? Yeah, I, th I think the thing that helped me the most is, uh, you know, he just – he gave me the canvas, the latitude to make mistakes and keep getting the ball. He, he believed – he saw something in me that other people might not have seen at a time in my life when I needed that encouragement. And he, he gave me a uh, – 
a canvas, if you will, to go down and, and it might not have been in the major leagues at, at first, it was in the minor leagues, but he gave me a canvas to go paint on and try to figure out how to, how to do this thing with, that was called being a knuckleballer. Um, and so I would go and I would fail and, you know, it looked ugly and, and it would be hard, but I would get the ball every fifth day and slowly, but surely started to realize what it took to become a good knuckleball pitcher. And he gave me that, that freedom. And that was a big deal. I guess you're not surprised what Buck accomplished with the Mets last year. Did you follow it closely? When the, when the uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I did. And, and there wasn't, in my opinion, there wasn't a better, a better man for the job. Uh, you know, I, I know a lot about what his attributes are as a manager and um, he sees things that a lot of other guys don't or can't from an evaluation standpoint. And, um, you know, he's, he's able to get that diamond in the rough that oftentimes goes overlooked. It's a, a big piece of the puzzle. And uh, that's what happened with New York. You had a lot of guys that really stepped in and, and filled the gaps, or maybe, maybe it was a guy that the, the regime before him didn't believe in that he kind of believed in and that gave them what they needed to, to succeed. And, and he's doing a good job. I mean, he's a really good manager. Um, and I enjoyed, I enjoyed playing for, for him, but I think the thing I enjoy most about him um, was just his, the way that he led me. I mean, he, he led me by encouraging me and, and giving me opportunity and um, having hard conversations, yes, with me when things weren't the way they needed to be, but also gave me opportunity. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. So we jump ahead to 2009. You were, you were, you were a Rule 5 guy, back and forth. So in a little transaction in December of 2009, I remember Omar coming in and said, we signed this guy, R.A. Dickey, probably made about this much of the paper that day. And maybe. Maybe, maybe that much. But your, your, your first start, you go to spring training, your first start at Buffalo, you give up a single in the first inning, and 27 batters down. Boom. Was that an immaculate, a perfect, perfect uh, no hitter? How would you count? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was like a. That was a. You know, it was actually Jay. I think it was like the the fourth start in Buffalo or so, and I I was gradually getting better and better with the pitch. And I remember when I I remember when I signed. You know, Omar was in Texas when I was in Texas, so he knew he knew me, and um, I was really appreciative that he gave me an opportunity to come in to Big League Camp. But if you remember, I was the first cut. You know, I was right. the first batch of guys to go out in 2010. And, uh, you know, I wasn't real sure what it was going to look like. But when I got to Buffalo, I really figured some things out and had that game where I gave off that 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 broken bat leadoff single to right field and then retired 27 straight hitters in a row. I, it's kind of the imperfect, perfect game. And uh, that was kind of what put me on the map. And next thing I know, I think Ali Perez got hurt and – or John Maine might have gotten hurt, right. and next thing I know, I was on I was on a plane to Atlanta to play some catch to get ready for my start against Washington in Washington, and that was the start of my Met career was 2010 in Washington D.C. Wow, 
all right, I know what you're talking about. Why did, you know, you, you became a cult hero in the, the three years you were to Met. You think it's because your late age, what you did, the struggles you had before? I think the average New Yorker really identified with R.A. Dickey for some of those reasons. Yeah, you know, I, I, I've always wondered about that. I think gratitude is the first word that comes to mind, just the connection I got to have with a fan base that really understood kind of where I came from and who I was and letting me be me. And I, I think that was real special for me. But I, I think that the reason that there was such a relatable uh, feeling was that um, that pitch, the knuckleball, and my journey up until that point um, just took a lot. It was there was a lot of hardship in that, right? There was a lot of adversity, and that the the average person can really relate to that. Um, that workman like punch the clock, grind it out, trying to figure it out, doesn't work. You got to keep coming back. You got to be relentless. Just that blue collar kind of attitude, and I think that was one of the reasons that we connected so well. Is I, I really felt like New York the New York Met fan base was a real blue collar fan base and they understood that, that piece. And, and we, we connected well throughout that, my, my tenure as a Met, it was just fantastic. In 2012, did you think that was going to be a special year for you? Uh, not necessarily. I, you know, I think after, I think after um, late June, early July, when we went through Tampa and that, you know, the back-to-back one-hitters, yeah, I think. Baltimore I, and Tampa, right. Yeah, yeah, Baltimore and Tampa back-to-back. I thought I thought that there could be a chance, you know, to do something special possibly. But, you know, I, Dan Worthen was great. You know, he, he was my pitching coach at the time, and he really helped keep me grounded. And all we cared about was the work and just keep doing the work. Like every, every two, two days, we would get on the mound after a – start and we would we would treat it just like we treated every every other bullpen that I ever threw I mean there was nothing that we took for granted we were constantly trying to get better together and he was a big help for me in that in that time just keeping me centered and grounded and I didn't really I kind of tried to just put the blinders on right and 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 keep trucking and thankfully we were able to do some special things that year and got to share it with a lot of people uh I've heard two other things the all-star game 90 year comeback play of the year and uh, do you remember the night when the, uh, you know, I, I think I had did some secret balloting before. I don't know if I remember I told you or not, but I had a good feeling about this young. And I think it was 27 of 32 votes. I mean, it was, it was, it was overwhelming. I mean, what was your reaction that night? when uh, the, man. Well, I mean, just even you describing that, that time, that, that period of time, like I got chill bumps again, you know, just remembering uh, what that was like. Um, it was surreal for sure. But, you know, I, I think one thing that was really cool about it was, you know, we didn't have necessarily have a great year as a team. Right. And so, so it was something that was really special to share with the New York uh, fan base. And I, I, I kind of was at a period in my career where I felt like, you know, they, they, they may be wanting to trade me because they were going to be able to get a lot for me in that moment. And, and I got that completely. I understood it. It was part of the nature of the business. And Sandy was always great, communicated well. And so I never had any ill feelings or ill will about that. And and it was just the, the most poetic thing to be able to win that award as a New York Met, because that's how I resurrected my career. And that's the place that I got to have that opportunity. You know, towards the end of your career, it wasn't like you really 
you slipped away like the last six years, you won double figure wins. So what made you retire uh, in 17, Ari? Well, just as an FYI, Jay, I, I, I've never filed retirement papers. Still so I, I'm still active. I just, I just chose to leave because uh, it was time for me to be a full-time dad and a full-time husband. And I drug my kids and family and wife from, you know, Port Charlotte, Florida to Seattle, Washington, and everywhere in between for 21 years. And I, you know, my girls were getting older and there were boys starting to come around that I needed to be around just to double check things. And it just was the right time in that moment. And, and so I decided to walk away, but it certainly was difficult. And, um, you know, I still had, I still had stuff in the tank. And so, you know, walking away was, was hard, but it, it was, Certainly, the right decision for me and my family. You know, also has a retirement is Bartolo Colon. We can afford a pitching staff. You know, you would bark the top of rotation. What do you think of that with that staff? Well, that would be like a combined uh, age of 100 years old. So that'd be something. That's be something pretty cool. I think that makes some good stories for for you know Andy Martino and all the beat writers in New York. That would be sure. interesting. You know, so I'll keep in mind you haven't retired yet. A little bit about your off the field so far, right? You know, in 2000, was it, was it December or January, you decided to climb Mount Kilimanjaro to raise money for uh, human trafficking in India, right? I mean, you raised 100 grand. You also got two great awards, Tony Caniglia Award, Branch Wiki Award. How did that become a passion for you? Well, you know, it just like anything relationship, you know, I, I met a, I met a gentleman who was involved with that outreach um, and spent a number of years just from afar appreciating it and trying to give to it. When we would give money, we would give to that organization because I really believed in what it did. And, and it spoke to my story, too, you know, like that sexual trauma piece and to help people that aren't even a Social Security number get out of a life that, that trapped and, and bondage and, you know, that felt like that was a worthwhile suit for my, for my story that I really connected with. And so I was involved with them for a couple of years and then had to, had the idea to try to, you know, use the platform to, to go up Kilimanjaro and raise money. And we, we were able to raise close to $200,000 and build a, a clinic right in the middle of the red light district of Kamathapur, India, uh, that would treat and help educate, um, you know, these traffic prostitutes that were, you know, all over the place. And so it was very rewarding. But that's how I, I got connected with that with that outreach. Full disclosure, that's what really thrilled with your client, right? Well, I, yeah, you know, I just think it, it's just because it was it was uh, you don't know about something intimately. It's it's easy to think about the worst case scenario and, and really Kilimanjaro. If you, if you choose the right route, it's it's just a glorified hike. And so I knew there wasn't any danger, um, but certainly I think they were, they just didn't want anything to happen to their investment. I certainly understood. Uh, uh, updates with the New York Times. Remember you did, where you gave them updates on your climb and everything. Yeah, it was, it was such a great experience. I got to write for the New York Times and, and kept a, a diary of, of kind of every couple of days I'd write an entry and we had a, a company that sponsored um, Toshiba help. Uh, sponsor me with a, a laptop and a, and a satellite that I could hook up because, um, of course, there's no internet, no phones. But through satellite, I could I could communicate with the New York Times and would write real time diary entries for them to publish, and that was something really fun for me to get to do. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, your book, which published, and you were really, you disclosed in the book you were sexually abused as a youngster. Was it, baseball players at that time didn't do that, you know, weren't that open with their private life. What made you go that way? You know, I, I think I've done a lot of work uh, on myself over this seven, eight years, and I just felt like it was a, uh, time for me to share about my story because you know i knew that there were people out there who had probably were experiencing the same feelings that i had experienced up until uh, up until the point where i i told somebody for the first time and got to kind of break down the walls and start rebuilding you know things around that trauma and uh you know a, a lot of support you know, a lot of encouragement from people who understood what I wanted to do. I certainly didn't want to, I, I didn't want to, you know, I did, the only thing I wanted to do is communicate that people weren't alone in it and that there were opportunities out there for help and, and redemption and recovery and all the things that you need when things like that happen outside of your control. And I just wanted to be helpful, Jay, really more than anything. And I felt like my story could could be helpful. And you did make the New York Times bestsellers too, with some other thing I wanted to bring out. I look back on your career. I know what the one hitters, and you know, again, we didn't have a very good team back then. Is there one game that stands out? Was it the game against Philadelphia where Hamels got the only hit? You know, he was supposed to no hitter. And again, I think it was Tampa, where it's a questionable call at third base, and they gave David Wright a hit. Could have been hitter in there. Which one of those what games stand out for you? Anyone? Oh man, you know, Jay. I, when I think back on it, you know, I, sometimes I think, well, I, I I was able to throw three one hitters, which is pretty neat. A three yeah. three one hitters in my 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 career is that. Um, and I think, well, maybe one of those games, and those games were certainly they were certainly fantastic. But I I, I feel like my favorite game was my 20th win against the Pittsburgh right. Pirates the on the last game, day. It was an afternoon game. It was crowded, but not packed. But everybody knew kind of what was on the line, and the crowd was really incredible. And um, it also wasn't – you know, with those one-hitters, things were so smooth. Like, I, I I, could pretty much do whatever I wanted to do with the baseball those days. And, and this was a different kind of day. Like, it was a grind. And I, I remember David Wright hit a home run. I think Ike Davis hit a home run. And next thing you know, um, we were winning seven to three. Uh, but I'd given up a home run early on in the game to a guy named Rod Barajas. And uh, we were man. down. I think we're, we're yeah, he became a man. Yeah. And so so I, we were down. I think it was my favorite game was one twenty. That number 20 is a magical number right. um, for, for a Cy Young one. And two is everybody knew what was kind of on the line. Like we were kind of sputtering as a team, but but everybody was – was pitching in and behind that that effort to to maybe capture something that was pretty special, and I felt it from my teammates. I felt it from from the crowd. I felt it from you guys, Jay. And so it just was special to get to share that win with everybody. I think that's that's what made it the, my favorite. Yeah, me too. Or you know what? 
I, I enjoyed the base part, but the stuff that I missed was the, the dinners and the stuff, the friendships that developed. I mean, that's something you can't quantify, put a number on it. That's really what makes this game really great, to develop the friendships. Like, you know, 10 years, we're still talking. I know Yan, you, yeah. you know, and, and everything. So that's what makes this game really great. I agree with you, man. It's it's the game a lot of times with um, real deep friendships, but you do come out with a few. And and I think that's one of the things I miss the most are just some of those more uh, intimate relationships that I had with my teammates and, and guys like UJ and, and others where we would we would get to share things with each other and laugh about things with each other. And, and those are certainly things that I miss and am hopeful that – other people get to enjoy. Do you do you want to get back in the game in RA? I mean, you know, so knuckleball is still in that common. I'm sure you get a lot of requests, right? To to teach a knuckleball and stuff like that. Yeah, I do actually. You know, and and it'll it'll either be a team that asks me to come look at a couple of guys or ask me what I think about a couple of guys, or it'll be a, an actual player who reaches out and wants to come train um here in Nashville for a a, a little while. And I'm I'm always open because that's what put me over the hump was you know, Tim and Charlie and those guys that did it before me were willing to open up their, their homes, their knowledge, their wisdom around uh, what it took to throw that pitch. And so you know, they paid it forward. And that's what I want to do. Like, I, I know there are guys out there that might could really do it. And so I've always been open to people who want to try to learn it um, and, and get to a level where it might it might help them to be a big leaguer. And so certain teams will call me and ask me to work with a guy or two or things like that. Those things have occurred, yeah. All right, you know, next year, we'll hopefully get you back uh, have an alumni weekend, come back, and we finish your schedule with the kids and everything. You're a good friend. I treasure our friendship. And thanks for doing this. I appreciate your time.